0: a financial transformation consultancy, as she interviews key experts to give you real-world advice and guidance on how to transform your processes, people, and data. Welcome to CFO 4.0, the future of finance.
1: Did you know that 70% of CFOs still make decisions based on gut feeling rather than actual data? Join Hannah Munro, your host of CFO 4.0, for an online presentation where she discusses what you need to truly become a data-driven finance leader. This session will not only talk about the why, but also identify how you can automate your financial operations and get meaningful data to drive your business forwards. Check out the link in the show notes or visit our events page at www.itussolutions.co.uk.
0: So, welcome to everybody to this episode of the CFO 4.0 podcast, a podcast where we help you prepare for the future and the changing world of finance. Today on the podcast, I have with me Phil Rayner, who is a successful digital transformation program manager. What a mouthful! Um, Thank you for joining us, Phil.
1: A here.
0: Phil's been working for over 25 years in the digital sector he's worked for companies such as Chloe, Jaguar Land Rover, Perfume Shop, Karen Millen and Liverpool Football Club just to name a few so that's a pretty impressive uh, CV Phil so so how did you end up doing what you're doing now?
1: Well, I started out as a copywriter, would you believe, uh, because of my keen love of writing and like a desperate affliction for puns. uh, I thought, brilliant, let's do it. Let's go into advertising. So that's where I really started off. Um, And then I was part of a a marketing consultancy that some of the clients, when the web started to take off, uh, started wanting to build websites and it was thrown to me. Uh, and so as a sideline, I found it was something I was quite good at in terms of uh, building the websites and project managing and something that I actually enjoyed. So uh, that's how I ended up in, in that side of things. And then I went uh, to the dark side. So I headed up uh, e-commerce operations, um, for um, Maplin and then for Austin Reed. Left years before they both went under, so it wasn't a result of my being there, but they, uh, they, they went before. We and then um, I decided to turn uh, poacher, or is it keeper? I'm not quite sure. Up uh, some time I thought, you know what? I'd rather go and consult brands into how to do this rather than stay with one particular brand uh, uh, and do it. And that was a, a good few years ago now. Um, and so that's where I am. So at the moment, I'm I'm taking six months off to renew all my qualifications because obviously they have a, a lifespan, and then also gain other skills. So I'm I'm also doing a change management qualification, software to development, uh, and even memory training. I'm doing uh, so uh, cause the trouble is when you're in the the muck and bullets of the uh, program management, you just simply don't have time to, to catch up on qualifications.
0: Absolutely. So there's has been so. Program management versus project management. There's there's a lot of you know people use this terminology quite um, quite often. But what do we actually mean? So what is the difference between a project and a program? Uh,
1: okay, well it's I, I could be charged and it's like people saying what's the difference between you know a clock and Margaret Thatcher. It's just completely different. But I'll, I'll go into <laughs> detail because uh, people use them interchangeably and you, you know you can't get head up or frustrated because. they're they're not in the business and they only come around on certain times uh, so therefore they're not going to be familiar with it but uh, they're totally different so um, ultimately a program is coordinated body of transformation activities and projects so they're all they're all um, within one cohesive strategy so in other words it's not just lots of disparate projects it's they're all with one aim to achieve a specific strategic benefit Uh, and so it's kind of like a, a program organization is a, a sort of a transient organization that comes together. You've got a collective of, of skills, uh, of skill sets and individuals that come together for the aim of the program and then, obviously once the program's been delivered, they're, they're disbanded. And it's more concerned with like the overall direction of achieving uh, real strategic change and growth, both mid and long term and the long term benefits. So, The thing also the major difference between a program and a project is that the the roadmap the development map uh, is likely to be uh, uh, unclear it's certainly not going to be linear and in many a case it'll only materialize after the first few projects have been delivered so you deal with a lot of uh, ambiguity uh, uh, as uh, a program manager there's an awful lot of um, Unknowns out there, a lot of things that you have to find the answers to that don't exist at the present moment in time. So there might be an overarching objective from the business that actually, um, it's almost an endeavour. They don't know whether that can happen. And there's a lot of questions that you need to answer very early on to, to understand whether that's actually a viable solution.
0: In terms of this one, I think that's a, that's a really good point just to point out to everybody is that a program is about an overarching period of change and transformation, which perhaps like you say, is undefined. And I think one of the challenges is a lot of people look at change as one project. So implementing a software is just one piece. But yeah. actually, um, I guess the question is, is what are you going to do after you've just you've put it in? What is your long term plan for how you're then going to move that forwards?
1: And I think that's the key thing. Yes, you're absolutely right. It's because it's the the, when it's when it's change, um, any change in the employees, sometimes uh, it might be a a digital transformation, but it might be a a new CRM or contact management system. But actually, what that means for them from the day to day is it completely changes their their work processes, procedures. They might need new skills. So, therefore, there's going to be a reticence there to learn it. There's going to be potentially a fear for their for their role. It might disappear altogether. So it, the clarity of communication and the management of stakeholders uh, is absolutely critical uh, from day one. I think that's where the programme comes in. Whereas a project is more concerned with a defined scope of work, so you'll have a, a beginning and end, you'll have a specific timeline, specific costings, and it's much shorter than a programme. Usually in, in, in months, it's measured rather, rather than years. Um, where a programme is much longer, measured in years. And also it deals with, as I said before, uh, um, an ambiguity. uh, And therefore it's it's critically important that you move forward uh, with the entire organization on board. So in other words, it's about having them on board um, for what you're trying to achieve. Otherwise uh, it's likely to fail. And also it's not a set and forget, as you rightly pointed out. Once the program management team has been disbanded, these changes, uh, and don't forget that some changes might not uh, materialize for months afterwards, need to be managed from uh, from a business operations point of view. So therefore, your business change managers need to be in place to be able to make sure that they're continually embedded uh, in the organization and the training is done, the communications are done. So everything that a program did... Uh, it's not a question of saying, well, there you go, there's the piece of software, away we go. Uh, it's about how you embed that change, what it impacts uh, in terms of the culture, in terms of the working practices. Uh, and, and does it actually derive the benefits in the medium and long term that you thought it would do? So uh, it's, it's a much, much broader scope than, than a project.
0: So what does a successful digital transformation program actually look like? What, does, what is good
1: I suppose like say, "How do you live a worthy life?" Um, yeah. It's it's quite uh, so. It, it depends on the business areas and the focus uh, and the overall objectives. Um, digital transformation is, is a is a catch-all nowadays. You know, ranging from replacing a a legacy contact management system to moving your entire IT estate to to the cloud. So, from an overarching perspective, uh, it's a clear and unambiguous vision. So, uh, or an objective in terms of what you're trying to achieve. And it, it needs to have top-down sponsorship uh, from, from senior management uh, and also devolved uh, decision-making. I think far too often uh, it, uh, you'll see projects fail uh, due to the fact that management might give uh, lip service to it or they might have an endeavour in terms of it's something that's quite amorphous. Uh, and whilst I say it can be ambiguous at the start, there needs to be a clarity of vision of where you're going. So, therefore, it could be misinterpreted uh, because senior management have only. Um, giving it lip service, it's not taken seriously uh, in in the wider organization, so therefore, it becomes an uphill battle for the program team to actually uh, engender change. Um, I think an open and and blame-free culture is critically important. Um, Again, uh, too many times, you're, you're set up on the wrong path which is perfectly natural and there's a reticence to actually put your hand up and say actually this is probably not the right thing to do uh, so if you have an open blame-free culture uh, certainly in the early periods you'd expect to embrace failure because that's the point whilst you're kicking the tires and you're doing the um, the discovery pieces it's about refining uh, and no one ever gets it right first time um, so that's critically important uh, I think also from senior management point of view, you need a clear understanding of of the skills required, the resources, timescales and costs, because we're not talking old school waterfall projects here, you know, where a sequence of tasks is completed to deliver an objective. We're we're talking, um, as the Americans say, kind of high curbs, wide boulevards. It's about having that framework with which you sit, so the fact that you can make sure that uh, you have uh, an overarching uh, boundary, shall I say. Um, And I'd say, you know, you have births, deaths and taxes. Well, I'd say programs encountering changes should be added to those lists because you're never, ever going to have a program that doesn't encounter changes. Many, many, many changes in various sizes. And that's fine. You know, you set up to be flexible um, because ultimately you need to have the skill sets and the tools and the authority to uh, adopt. uh, So you're not endangering the overall uh, goal. That's critically important, I think, is you having your eyes on the prize. Um, and, and, and that's not just about focusing on that. It's also focusing on the threats to that overall objective and making sure you have the contingent plans in place. So it's, it's really, um, these are generic and deliberately generic, I'd say, because digital, I often say, uh, it, it's just a tool. change and it's about how you manage that change that uh, gets the success of the program or not
0: so we've talked a lot about what does good look like so there are there are huge you know huge numbers of stories of failure particularly around big ERP and digital transformation programs so in your experience Experience and having gone in and rescued a few of them um, and have, and done what you have done for a number of years, where do you think those failure actually occurs? Where does it go wrong?
1: Oh, there, there, there are many, many points of failure. I'd say it's kind of like a, a, an airplane really and you've got 300,000 parts. anyone one could go at any one point in time uh, and therefore can have a, a catastrophic effect. So I think you talked about ERP and digital transformation. You can talk about middleware microservices cloud migration data migration um the list is endless um but i think uh, aside from major unprecedented external factors you know be that legal be that political be that a a new competitor coming in i'd say it comes down to to planning um in, in its many guises so as my dear old father used to say you know measure choice cut once Um, it's also about realism, I would say. So um, it's the art of the probable rather than the possible. So it's very easy for a client to tell you that they want this, they want that. You know, I want a Ferrari 812. I'd love one. I just don't have the £450,000 to pay for it. (laughs) So um, you've got to be realistic with your expectations from the outset. Um, I'm often saying to clients, um, you know, I'm not telling you what you want. I'm telling you what you have. So in other words, within the constraint constrictions of resource, time, scale, skill set, whatever. I mean, this is what the possible is. I know that's what you would like, but uh, unless we restart the program, unless there's a huge investment uh, upsurge, it's not going to be possible. So, what can we do with what we have? So, it's about managing that gap between the as-is and the to-be uh, environments and and see what you can achieve. And I'd say the third thing is probably uh, clarity of the overall objective. So. If you don't have that from the outset, you know where's your north star? How do you know if you're on track? There, there is a danger in this uh, agile uh, age that um, people mix up agile with actually just being reactive, and that's not agile in any way, shape or form. That's just uh, winging it, to to put it bluntly. So it's about making sure that you can at any point in time. Uh, audit and assess the the health of the programme in terms of the overall objective. You cannot lose sight of that. Yes, uh, in terms of how you get there may may differ and probably will differ from how you thought would happen, but ultimately that objective uh, needs to remain the North Star. Did you know that 70% of CFOs still make decisions based on gut feeling rather than actual data? Join Hannah Monroe, your host of CFO 4.0. For an online presentation where she discusses what you need to truly become a data driven finance leader. This session will not only talk about the why, but will also identify how you can automate your financial operations and get meaningful data to drive your business forwards. Check out the link in the show notes or visit our events page at www.itasolutions.co.uk.
0: And you talk a lot about expectations there, and I, for me, that's critical, isn't it? In terms of um, setting those expectations both at the beginning and then reassessing as we go through. So what are your top tips for handling situations where you know it happens all the time, so a CFO knows what can be delivered, he's, he's, he's in the trenches with the team, and perhaps the CEO or the board don't quite um, have the same expectations that we say. What are your tips for how you actually approach that situation?
1: Well, this is where the CFO, um, as the senior responsible owner, I guess, in this situation becomes critical, because ultimately, um, they they should have been given a mandate from from, from senior management that actually, as part of the senior management group, that um, they are to lead the program, they have the authority and therefore they're responsible, I think. If you don't have that, these are where these situations occur, um, where the communication and education from the, the senior responsible owner upwards is not working effectively, and this is again where program management comes in. It's about educating um, the 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 senior responsible owner in terms of how they how how they communicate, how they make sure that uh, they uh, escalate uh, up the path, and it's it's because you have to understand. That the, their day job is not this you know their day their day job is is, is financial management the financial health of the company and therefore they're, they're completely new to this so therefore you really should be almost their conscience i guess from the outset and this is a game where good program management and program direction comes in is where at the very very start you need to ensure that there is buying uh, from from the um the, the absolute the very top and if there isn't then, it, then it's about resetting so uh, i always say that it's if it's bad news, it's not like fine wine. It doesn't, you know, mature with age. It, it doesn't become finer. It, it is bad news, and you need to communicate it straight away. So, I think there's a there's a almost. Um, I'd rather ask uh, forgiveness and permission, whereas I don't think that's the case here. You need to have the full backing uh, of the organisation. So this is where communication becomes absolutely critical. Now, if they are, which they should be, part of the uh, overall sponsoring group then they should be having at the very least kind of monthly uh, get-togethers in terms of communicating exactly what is going on with the with the, with the overall project dossiers, the direction of the programme, the health of the programme, maybe new risks or issues. And so they, they, there shouldn't ever be an instance whereby they are being hoodwinked by something. Now, if they come along and they suddenly say, right, there's been a change in, in corporate policy, um, maybe, I don't know, it's been a bad year, so therefore we're going to have to cut back on budgets, or there's a new competitor in or say for example if it's a retailer we've decided to divert the budgets into opening 300 new stores or whatever that's that's perfectly natural and that's fine it all comes down to how you manage that and and i come again back to uh, it's about the art of the probable so i always say ultimately uh, project management is about a triangle you know in terms of quality cost and time you can only do what you can do with those resources so therefore if there is uh, uh, a dissonance between what we think we should be achieving and what they've suddenly decided to do, then it's a question of, of resetting uh, expectations and boundaries. And, and uh, I think that's the danger is that is people don't like delivering bad news. And I'm quite happy to be a um, belligerent cop rather than bad cop and just say, look, th- this is how things are. I don't think senior management appreciate being um, left out of the loop and again senior management they have their own uh, pressures and their own directions their own strategic um, inputs that we're not party to as i said at the, the top of the call it's it's about having the flexibility to be able to to build in contingent plans and and, and change direction if needs be
0: so in terms of you've mentioned the word plan and planning quite a bit and so tell us a bit about the key things that we should be considering during that that initial sort of planning phase. So, what you know, what are the the key areas to focus on
1: but at the outset? I'd say, um, and this is the, the this will be an anathema. I think is don't rush it. So, so make sure you've done your due diligence uh, and, and your discovery first. Have, so, therefore, you've got a clear and robust strategy. Now, I'm not saying. Um, run the program first uh, at the very start you will have an understanding of what you're trying to achieve and then it's about understanding the feasibility of it then therefore there might be two or three different program scenarios that you might have taking that time slowing down to speed up uh, as the americans say uh, at the start is 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 gold uh, the trouble is with a lot of these programs um, it's it's reactive or by the time a decision has been made to at least start uh, the first phases and release investment for the first phases the, they've already put in place an arbitrary time scale which is just reducing and reducing and reducing and therefore it's just about getting on and doing it it really should be uh, clear in your mind that when, when uh, these initiatives are required and, and also I think again not being part of the program management culture, when it's not your your day to day is that there is a there is a, a, a des, not a desire. Um, there's a, a tendency to, to kick the can down the road. I think uh, when there's there's other more pressing day to day things all the time. The time horizon is is shortening. So I'd say the sooner that you can actually um, start to put together an actual plan and looking at um, the the um, the due diligence of discovery, the better because. Some organisations talk about being pure agile and saying they don't have to do this. But as I said, agile actually is just a, a, another word for, for, for masking the fact that they're just reactive. So to reiterate that, it's it's don't rush it. It's, it's plan properly in terms of what is your overall objective. Now, in terms of plan, I'm not talking a project plan. That's obviously going to come later on. But certainly you should have an understanding that uh, your key aim is to be the... Um, foremost educational institution online within the next 24 months and and so on and so forth at least then you have your, your north star and then it's a question of how do we go about it and what's the feasibility of that second one i'd say and i'm repeating myself in it as a broken record is gain senior management commitment has to be from the outset. I think too many of these things uh, uh, emerge, which is, again, perfectly fine. Programs do emerge where you'll have several, say, uh, projects that uh, are coming together and and diverging, uh, converging, should I say, uh, into a single aim. So therefore, they would benefit from having an overall program uh, infrastructure around them. But too often these things emerge and actually never get the uh, the senior management commitment that there's an assumption that it will be fine and then the only trouble is once it gets to the senior management uh, at uh, at best uh, they'll be indifferent at worst they'll, they'll they'll just shut it down and the other side of senior management commitment i'd say is is don't just pay at lip service they 've got to be seen to be leading from the front it's absolutely critical. So that the messaging is on point from everybody within the program, everybody to do with that program to the entire organization, because there's an awful lot of people that will be affected directly or indirectly um, that uh, need to understand clearly what the objectives are. Because in my experience, you'll have um, certain disenfranchised part of the organization, which is natural. If you're dealing with hundreds or even thousands of people, there are going to be people that don't necessarily buy to what you're you're trying to achieve particularly if it affects their own area so therefore they can make things difficult the key thing is to have um a clarity of purpose and say this is what we're doing and more importantly this is why we're doing it so at least they'll have an appreciation of why it's being done i, I think on, on that it's change management often overlooked so i've talked about communication uh, talked about stakeholder anxiety um, means their job might change uh, as a result i think that anxiety and that hostility and you bring them on board uh, so through clarity of communication and building up that trust and it's about firing that message at them all the time in terms of it's for the common good and this is why we're doing it this is why we're doing it Uh, that's absolutely critical and then i'd say probably embrace failure early on so to my previous point is particularly in discovery the whole point of this is to see whether your initial objectives um are achievable and if they're subsequently found to be flawed then um you could say discovery has done its job you know you just reset and then you look at alternatives as confucius said Uh, was it when it's obvious the goals cannot be reached something like don't adjust the goals adjust the action steps and um, clearly, Confucius was one of the first uh, program managers.
0: <laughs> yeah, I wonder what they were managing back then. To be fair, um, and I wonder what they think of how we manage today. That's the interesting question. And oh, I think that <laughs> I've
1: forgotten something. I've forgotten something. I've just thought about it. Sorry. the uh, most important thing I would say is smile. Yeah. So far too often programs are they're stressful. You know, you're reaching into the unknown. It's 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 ambiguous. You're facing a multitude of problems, but it doesn't mean you can't have an enjoyable environment because can you imagine say if it's a two year program you're talking what 40 hours a week 10 months a year two years that's two, 200, 200 I think my math is correct on this one. 200,000 hours um, so you know it should be an enjoyable experience not Dante's Inferno you know you need to smile you need to um, make sure that people enjoy coming to work uh, it shouldn't be seen as a threat it should be seen as a positive
0: and I guess a lot of that comes down to communication as well. So both, I, I see one of the challenge, one of the things that we see a lot is that actually those projects that are incredibly successful are those that have great communication or great communicators helping with that project. So I think for me, you know, what are your sort of suggestions for good communication both, both going up and down the train?
1: So you, you've you nailed it there. It is about going up and down the chain. I think uh, it's making sure because there's obviously there's different groups of stakeholders. So for example, from a program, you need to make sure the communication between the projects is critically important from their interdependency point of view. The communication between each project and you is is critically important. So excuse me, it's about devolving. Um, the decision-making, about setting the, the, the tolerance uh, levels as well in terms of the tolerance of, of risks and changes and issues. And when that needs to be communicated upward to you and then maybe up to the, the sponsoring uh, board or the programme board, uh, that's critically important. Uh, I'd say also communicating downward. So if there's a, there's a temptation when there is a change in policy, it's about... Uh, you just concentrate in isolation how you amend the program, whereas, in fact, this should go all the way down to the, to the project teams uh, at the coalface. I think communicating upwards to uh, senior management should be clear and unfettered. Um, as I said before, it's not about trying to couch uh, bad news. It's about giving it them uh, I'd say one thing, giving them the, the truth and, and being very, very clear about what this is and what the, uh, the impact is. But where possible, it's also providing them with potential solutions based on your experience because I think senior management are dealing with problems all the time. Just giving them an extra problem is not going to help. You need to go there and say, this is what we've encountered. These are the potential solutions uh, for your consideration. Um, communicating with stakeholders, uh, a lot of people talk about stakeholder management when you look at, say, job briefs and, and, and uh, etc. I think stakeholder management is is an interesting one. It should really be called stakeholder communication because it's for for stakeholders. People often think, well, I'll do a, a program report or a project report on a weekly or monthly basis, lots of colored graphs and pretty pie charts, and that's it. But then your stakeholders, particularly senior stakeholders, will think they're being managed, and it's not about that. It's a two-way dialogue, so therefore you need to be having this, this, this dialogue. Uh, with the stakeholders and making sure that it, their feedback is coming back and helping shape the program, not just you telling them what the program's doing. And I think also, as I mentioned before, it's communication with the wider stakeholders, those that are going to be directly and indirectly affected by the change, and making sure that you are constantly communicating, because there is a danger, and I've experienced this, uh, in, in certainly in, in larger organisations, uh, whereby if there's a, a vacuum in communication, uh, suddenly... The grapevine takes over and therefore uh, rumour, supposition, suddenly uh, runs wildfire. So it's about making sure that you communicate both both the good and the bad points uh, of uh, the programme so that they engender trust. But it's also about communicating the, the key messages uh, time and time and time again, never deviating from those messages because what they're looking to you for, and particularly senior management, is leadership and guidance. Um, if you're ambiguous in what you're doing or unsure of what you're doing then that's magnified further down the down the chain but it's also about continuous communication so it's not just about these monthly um, documents it's about having uh, the human touch so having project seminars having workshops having uh, town halls it's about getting their point of view because if they don't feel that they can and this is any level of stake on if they don't feel that they can have an active input into what's being achieved, then uh, they'll be disenfranchised and disengaged instantly.
0: And yeah, I, I think I would re-emphasise that, and it's it's about. And I would also perhaps say that it's about how, like you say, how you communicate, because there is a tendency with a lot of people, project, you know, those that are new to project management, to do death by email or death by report. Oh yes yeah and i think that i think that's just the flag to anyone that is going into or you know is taking responsibility for helping to manage a, a project or a program is just think about your audience you know your 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 you know your ceo doesn't have time to read a 20 page document every month you know he just wants the highlights but those that are actually actively involved in it they may value that level of communication and it's how you deliver it and like you say um, i think that's an incredible point around making sure that you have a two-way street um, and delivering on that change so this this has been a f- fantastic conversation to be honest and i think there's a whole as there's a whole conversation that could come out of this in terms of communication and what does good look like but just to sum up for those that um are about to start a program or looking at going through a you know or a, a project what is your sort of top tips for those that are just about to start what do you, what do you say they they must do and they must do nice and quickly
1: well like i said i mean it's it's slowing down to speed up so it is It is not rushing but it's, first of all it's 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 putting sequential steps in so it's from the top down you need to make sure you get buy-in from the top down I think you need to manage upwards and say to them in terms of expected costs and time scales and resource and skills requirements um, uh, needed potential threats and risks to their overall objectives it's it's about making sure that when senior management sign off that initial investment um, I've never been a big fan of just signing off a huge overall investment because actually things change so I'd say the initial investment to get the first phases done is that they need to be doing that with an absolute open mind but also with all the facts at their disposal so that's absolutely critical I think also um as we've just discussed it's making sure on the other side that you have the stakeholders identified and on board as quickly as possible as you said different stakeholders have different requirements of you they have different agendas different worries um, and ultimately you need to remember a stakeholder is not just a, a, a name on a sheet or you know plotted on a graph uh, it's a human being so therefore it's critical you get buy-in from the start. They need to be able to see that you are a clear communicator, an open communicator, but also, um, and I use this not in the um, the command and control type way, but you are a leader. In other words, that um, you understand what you're doing. It's in safe hands with you. That's absolutely critical. Um, so that's from the outset. It's making sure that you understand the resources required, at least at... Um, An outline level, you get the commitment from the board, um, and this is not lip service. You get at least early communications out to and dialogue with the key stakeholders, because then what you're dealing with here then is everybody's on the same page, everybody understands uh, what's trying to be achieved on the outset, and so you start to build that sort of program management culture, because. As I said before, it's it's a it's a transient organization program management. You get a, a lot of disparate skills that come in. You get a lot of externals such as, such as myself. You get people seconded onto the program. Uh, and therefore, it's it's a completely new organization that you will have your own culture within that. So it's about how you, you can quickly meld that with the, the business at large and making sure that you're all going in the same direction. Because... I think looking, it's easier to look at it from a point of view of why do, why do projects fail, and I think it is because it's not clearly communicated at the start. I think it is because you're restricted in terms of what the overall scope is, in terms of the amount of resources you have, uh, the skills that you're allowed to employ, and therefore a, a, a warning flag for me is when you're starting to cut your cloth before the main program's even started, because you then have to say, well, hold on, this needs to be reset. Because we're already we already have unrealistic expectations, or we simply don't have the resources with which to achieve that. And uh, it is there, it is um, human nature to just say, "Just do it," but that's unfortunately not the case. <laughs> um, I always say, you know, I don't have a magic, magic uh, wand or a crystal ball. I'm afraid I have looked on Amazon; they don't exist. So therefore, you have to be realistic from the outset.
0: Actually, I think, so just to sum up, I think, brilliant point. So communication, get your stakeholders involved at all levels, um, be realistic about what you can achieve, and don't just jump in the deep end. Make sure you you know exactly what you're jumping into and how how high the diving board is, as it were.
1: And I could even bookend that and say, actually, if you do find yourself uh, in trouble... Um, and there's a cognitive distance isn't there yes you, you well we've got to carry on now we've spent the money or we've burned the resources and actually you need to be brave enough to say let's stop uh, yeah. that is always the option uh, it, it doesn't help if you're going on and I've seen programs not my, not my, my head, where uh, the program was already dead in the water even before they started to, to do any form of development because of uh, a new MD and a new technology that was available but they still ploughed on with it you should be brave enough to put your hand up and say stop and stop doesn't necessarily mean throwing everything out it might mean just uh, amending uh, the strategy it might be uh, reformatting what you already have but ultimately, it's, it's being brave enough and also having the support of senior management to be able to do that
0: yeah and that comes back to your your point right at the beginning which is creating that culture where it's okay to raise problems raise issues you know but you're not hiding things under the carpet so and I, I think i would echo that as you know the best the best projects that deliver well are those where you can address problems quickly where everyone knows exactly what's happening and where the challenges are and that you have the resources to deliver on that
1: and the devolved um devolved responsibility to be able to make the, those decisions um because ultimately and i and I always stress this you know we're all moving in one direction we are one team you know i never say i so it's always us it's our team it's we're not battling against each other here we're all trying to achieve the same aim which is the success of the business so um very much so
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Phil. That was a brilliant, um, brilliant chat. Well, and thank you for your insight me. and for sharing that with us. It's been incredibly useful. So if anyone could do with your help and guidance, either on a project or a program, how, how what's the best way for them to get hold of you?
1: well i'm just rebuilding my website as another thing i'm doing over these six months uh, so probably the best thing to do is to is to contact me at uh phil at phil uh if they need any help or guidance and i will do my best um to, to help them out
0: brilliant well thank you phil thank you so much for, no, for spending this time with us going through um, this, you know, it is a key part of the CFO role. Um, so, thank you for sharing your experiences and advice, and hope you uh, the will see. You. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so, thank you everyone for listening. And um, if you want some, like Phil said, if you want to find out more, uh, send him an email or jump onto his website once it's all up and running. Um, and uh, please do watch out for the next episode of CFO 4.0, and we'll speak to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoyed this episode. I actually have a favour to ask. Reviews and shares are incredibly important to the success of any podcast. If you could spare a minute to share this episode on your social network or leave us a comment to tell us what you liked I would really appreciate it. Feel free to tell me what topics interest you most I would really love to hear your feedback. Don't forget to check out our late, latest CFO 4.0 webinar on budgeting and planning in a volatile environment. Click the link in the show notes or visit www.itassolutions.co.uk and click on our events page for more info and great content. And if you want to reach out at any point tell us what you liked, tell us what we can do better, then feel free. Just email us at cfopodcast at Thank you and speak soon.
1: for the one million pound question. What is the best finance software for your business? Is it A, Sage 50? Is it B, Sage 200 Standard? C, Sage 200 Professional? Or D, Sage Intact? An impossible question to answer without a lifeline, but we have the perfect lifeline for you. Our free quiz, which Sage product is right for you? We'll tell you which product is the best fit for your business in just five minutes. All you need to do is head to www.itassolutions.co.uk and answer a few simple questions.